Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Hey, for those of you who maybe don't know who I am, my name's Brett Ferguson. Uh, I also have no plans for spring break this week, and that's why we're all here together, right? Uh, no, my, my wife, my family, we've been a part of Grace Point for over 12 years now. I'm privileged to serve Grace Point as one of your elders. And so um, Pastor Mike's out on vacation, enjoying some much-needed rest and relaxation this morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 18. I'm on a one-man mission. My guys from my small group on Wednesday nights in student ministry, every time I'm up here, I'm on a one-man mission to encourage you to bring two things with you every Sunday. One is a journal, so you can write some notes down, go back and look at those things. I did that this week. And the other is a physical copy, not a phone copy, like a real touchable physical copy of the Bible, okay? Hey, who has a physical copy of the Bible this morning? Can we just kind of hold them up? Hey, any of our kids have their Bibles this morning? I think there's tickets for this. We need some kind of ticket program for adults, right? Good job, guys. Good job. Thank you. Hey, we want to we want to keep God's word close to us. There's something about being able to take notes, write in the margins, highlight things that just, listen, I'm not anti-phones. They're great, but this is a different level. So John chapter 18 in your Bible this morning. I just want to recognize it is family worship here this morning. Really glad to have all the kids in here with us. I think there's two rules if you're speaking on family, family worship Sunday. One, be entertaining, and two, be brief, right? Can I get an amen, parents? Okay, I can't promise that I can deliver on both of those things, but I will try my hardest to do at least one of them, okay? Is that a deal? All right, hey, listen, we actually love Family Worship Sunday. I think it's awesome when our kids, even though they might not understand everything that's going on, join all of us in worship and see what it's like to worship as a part of the broader body of Christ. Hey, we're continuing on in this series called The Last 24, and here's what we've been doing over the last few weeks is we've been studying people and their interactions with Jesus in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. We looked at Judas two weeks ago, never heard a sermon on Judas before, that was amazing and it was really good. We looked at Caiaphas last week and, and here's, what we're, here's what we're seeing, we're seeing how these people view Jesus versus who Jesus really was because when you, what you believe about Jesus is the most important and impactful decision you will ever make. What you believe about Jesus is the most important and impactful decision you will ever make, no matter what you believe. Either way. We looked at Judas. We saw that Judas saw Jesus primarily as an influencer. Jesus had some influence on, Jesus, on Judas's life. He was kind of along for the ride. But Judas never really understood that Jesus didn't come to influence us. He came to be our identity. And because of that, Judas chose prosperity over worship. He chose remorse over repentance. And he chose to live a condemnation over restoration. By the way, you know how I know that that's what Mike talked about? Because I wrote it down in my journal when I was here. That's the value of bringing a journal with you. Last week, we looked at Caiaphas. We saw that Caiaphas viewed Jesus as a disruptor versus a completer. Caiaphas was a high priest, high-ranking religious scholar. He saw Jesus as someone who would disrupt his comfortable religious world and status versus seeing Jesus as the perfecter and fulfiller of all of our spiritual needs. And today we're going to come to Pilate. 
So after they take Jesus before Caiaphas, there's a religious trial of sorts before Caiaphas that we saw last week. The Jewish people take Jesus to Pilate, who is Roman. They're occupying this area. They have control of the actual civil laws and authorities, and so they go now to Pilate for what is a, going to be more of a legal proceeding. And Pilate gives us something amazing. This interaction with Jesus and Pilate, this whole situation, it's written about in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all write about this. We're going to read from John today because it gives a lot of detail. But in, in Matthew's account, he shows what is the most important question that any person could ever ask that Pilate asks. Pilate looks at the crowd, looks at Jesus, and he says, what shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ. And so we have to start today from this level playing ground that every single one of us has to ask that same question. What am I going to do with Jesus, which is called Christ? This is why Easter season is different than Christmas. Listen, Easter demands we answer that question. It's easy for almost anyone to appreciate Christmas. I mean, you know, a, a, a cold winter night, a mom holding the baby, silent night, all is bright, sleep in heavenly peace, right? Like everybody can kind of think, oh, this is warm and fuzzy. Easter's not like that. Easter's violent. Easter's ugly. At the end of Easter, there is a supernatural resurrection that we have to decide what we're going to do about, what we're going to believe about. And so Easter demands a decision from us about Jesus. And what we're going to see today is that the decision Pilate made is actually very similar to the decision that most people, especially most Americans, are making about Jesus today. What's the decision that Pilate made? Again, I'm going to read from Matthew. We'll get to John in a second. Matthew chapter 27, verse 24. Now, when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather a riot was starting, He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. You yourselves will see. He washed his hands of it. Last last night, yesterday afternoon, while we were watching the Razorback game, go hogs, like everybody else was, right? This is my wife's defense mechanism in the middle of a sporting event. Like she does not like to get hurt, right? And so when our teams, we, we root for the Razorbacks, we root for the Denver Broncos, like those are kind of our teams, right? And um, that's been a frustrating experience recently. But when our team started, so with about 12 minutes left in that game last night, Razorbacks are down. Rachel's like, I'm done with this. I'm done. So she just like walks away. She'll walk away from the TV. She'll start rage cleaning the house. She'll start doing anything else because she just is like, I don't, I'm just, I'm done with this. I'm washing my hands. I'm out. Right. By the way, by the end of the game, she was back in. We're actually sitting at the dinner table eating, watching the game, which we normally don't watch TV while we eat, yelling at the TV. So she didn't really wash her hands of it. She tried, but it couldn't be done. Here's what's happening in our world, actually. A lot of people are doing just like Pilate, and we've found a way to wash our hands of Jesus. C.S. Lewis famously said this, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. Here's the foolish thing. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man 
and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on level with the man who says he's a post egg, which is like the most random thing I could ever, like, I, like, or he would be the devil of hell. You got to make a choice. You must make a choice. Can we just talk about the state of Jesus in America today? Most Americans have not made the choice. Most Americans have engaged in the same washing of hands of Jesus that Pilate, um, Pilate shows us. We've made the very decision that C.S. Lewis says isn't actually available to us. In their annual State of Theology survey, uh, Legionnaire Ministries found the following. Um, that among Americans who do not identify as evangelicals, so people who you know, largely claim no affiliation with an evangelical church, 56% of people agree with the statement Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. And you can see um, the top bar. Don't worry about the numbers too much. This is my salesman um, pitch in here. I don't, don't look at the details too much. Just look at the bar graph, right? So, but you can see this has grown. More and more people are believing that Jesus was a great moral teacher, but not God. By the way, in the same survey, frighteningly, 42% of people who do identify as evangelicals, believe the same thing. Church, what are we doing? You can believe all the right moral teachings of the Bible. You can believe that Jesus was a good person. You can believe in, you know, all the right political causes. But if we don't recognize Jesus as God, we've missed the whole And with these numbers, that means that some of you in this room today, no doubt, believe that Jesus is a great moral teacher and not God. And I just invite you into discussion with as much grace and as much love as I can have to say what we're going to see today is that you can believe a lot of things about Jesus, but you can't believe that he's a good moral teacher and not God. That option's not on the table. All right, you ready to dig in? Here we go. John chapter 18. We're going to read this slowly. I'm going to stop and kind of provide some commentary along the way because there's some interesting things going on here, okay? So we're going to start together in uh, what verse? Verse 28. Okay, here we go. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas, that's the high priest, to the praetorium. This is like a military garrison of sorts that's in Jerusalem. It's kind of the headquarters of the Roman government there. It was early. It's probably about 6 in the morning. And they themselves, this is the Jewish people, they did not enter into the praetorium because they would, so that they would not be defiled so that they could eat Passover. So let me just stop here. These religious leaders are still so bent up on religious rules and regulations that they don't want to go into the house of a Gentile because that would make them unclean and unable to eat Passover dinner. All the while they are, you know, giving a mock trial to an innocent man to try to kill him. Verse 29, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you. So Pilate comes out, because this is a legal proceeding that we're watching here. And he says, What are the charges? And instead of coming up with any charges, they just said, Hey, trust us. If he wasn't a bad guy, we wouldn't have brought him here. Pilate's not going to settle for that. Verse 30, Pilate said to them, Well, then take him yourselves. Judge him according to your own laws. So Pilate's saying, hey, if you think he's evil, go judge him according to your own laws. The Jews said to him, 
but we're not permitted to put anyone to death. Now, we have to understand the political environment of this world in this moment. At this time, the Roman Empire is occupying this area. So these Jewish people have some of their own religious laws, but the, the actual, the capital punishment laws, the big laws, those are still, those are being dictated by the occupying force, which is the Roman government. And the Jewish people are saying, hey, we can't um, exercise capital punishment on this man. They said, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. Verse 32, to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying what kind of death he was about to die. Let me just pause here for a minute. So here's the deal. If the Jewish people would have killed Jesus, they would have done so probably by throwing rocks at him and stoning him. This was a common uh, form of capital punishment for them. But all through the Bible, from the very beginning, when we start to see this indicator that a Savior is coming, all through Jesus' life, there's been this idea that Jesus is going to be killed somehow by being lifted up. The only people who killed by crucifixion were the Romans. So this is actually fulfilling prophecy here when the Jewish people don't take Jesus and exercise capital punishment, but leave him in the control of the Romans. Verse 34, Pilate entered again to the Praetorium, so he goes back to Jesus He summoned Jesus and said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, are you saying this on your own initiative or others tell you about me? So Jesus is basically saying, you need to have witnesses here for this trial to be real. Who else is saying this? Pilate answered and said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly, I'm a king. For this reason, I have been born. And for this reason, I've come into the world to testify to truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? We're going to come back to that. Those, that is as relevant today as it's ever been. And when he said this, he went back out again to the crowd, Pilate did. And he said to them, I find no guilt in him. This guy hasn't done anything. But you have a custom that I release someone to you at Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? And when he had said this, they showered them. uh, Oh, sorry. I got two pages here. So they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19, Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. So he takes Jesus, he has him beaten to the very edge of his life. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and a purple robe. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. They're mocking him. They're slapping him in the face. Pilate come out a, a, came back out to the crowd and said, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know I find no guilt in him. Listen, Pilate does not want to do what they're asking him to do. He recognizes that Jesus is at least innocent of any crime and certainly not deserving of capital punishment. And so he takes Jesus and has him basically beaten up so that, and tortured. And then he brings him out to the crowd to think maybe after this, they'll, that'll appease the crowd. All right, that's what he's trying to do here. They, um, Pilate came out again, verse 4, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know I find no guilt in him. Jesus came out wearing the, the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Like, hey, look at him. Look at what we did to him. It's ugly. It's hard to look at. He's probably near death. He's bleeding. Look at what we did. Is that enough? Verse 6, but when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. 
And Pilate said to them, take him for yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. So Pilate again saying, you guys go do this. The Jews answered him and said, we have a law that he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. We're going to come back to that. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Pilate knows there's something big happening here. He entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered and said, you'd have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has even greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Now keep in mind, Pilate's whole job in life is to be a friend of Caesar, right? He cannot be seen as holding up any type of insurrection, which were very common in this area, in this era and in this time. So they're, they're, they're saying, hey, you're supposed to be working for Caesar. If you release him, you're no friend of Caesar's. And Pilate heard these words. He brought Jesus out. He sat down in a judgment seat a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered and said, we have no king but Caesar. Can you imagine that? These people are being occupied by a brutal Roman force who has committed all kinds of atrocities and human rights violations, and they're sitting there saying, we love your king. That's how much hatred they had for Jesus. And so he handed them over to be crucified. Pilate saw Jesus ultimately as a question to be avoided. But Jesus wants to be the defining answer of your life. Pilate saw Jesus ultimately as a question to be avoided, But what Jesus came to be and what Jesus has to be is the defining answer of your life. Three things today. How do you get to a place where you avoid Jesus? Pilate did it. He washed his hands of Jesus. Over and over again, he never, ever actually sentences Jesus to any crime. He makes no judgment about who Jesus is. He washes his hands of the whole thing. And in our world today... That's, that looks like saying something like, I think Jesus is a great moral teacher, but not the Son of God. How do you avoid Jesus? Three things. First of all, you avoid Jesus when you don't know what Jesus said. You avoid Jesus when you don't know what Jesus did. Look at John 18, verse 36. Jesus answered Pilate and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. Hey, when you're asking yourself, what am I to do with this Jesus who is Christ? And you arrive at at an answer that's somewhat apathetic that, hey, I think Jesus is a good teacher. You are failing to recognize that Jesus' entire life was spent telling people that his primary focus wasn't on this world. That his kingdom was his, pri- was his primary concern. And his primary concerns are not physical or temporary, but they are spiritual and eternal. And I just want you to know that wasn't true of Pilate. Pilate, on the other hand, was extremely focused only on his own world. Pilate's primary job was to keep the peace on behalf of the government of Rome in the area of Judea. He was given all the responsibilities necessary to do that. 
Pilate was in charge of the military. He was the head of the judicial system. He had power to inflict capital punishment. He was responsible for collecting taxes. He could print money. So Pilate basically was the Secretary of Defense, the Director of the FBI, the Supreme Court, the IRS, and the Federal Reserve all wrapped up into one. What could go wrong with that? That usually works out well, right? This world was his focus. Pilate was so focused on this world, he actually didn't even live in Jerusalem. He lived about 75 miles away in an area called Caesarea was his main home. But when they had these big feasts, so this is Passover, it's a big Jewish holiday, right? They're rallying around Jewish nationalism in Jerusalem. Pilate would come to Jerusalem because this is when there were all kinds of insurrections, and he was there to keep the peace. Pilate was focused only on his own little universe. Not so with Jesus. Over, a, over 126 times, the word kingdom appears in the gospel. It's the major theme of what Jesus was teaching. Matthew opens with Jesus' first sermon ever. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, Jesus used the word kingdom like eight different times. The whole point of the sermon is to help us understand what life in God's kingdom is like. It's really hard to read. It's challenging. It's revolutionary. He begins the whole thing by saying this, Matthew chapter 5, 8, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It wasn't just one time that Jesus talks about the kingdom. After after the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew says that Jesus went through all the cities and villages teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction. Pilate was focused on his own little world. Jesus was focused on his kingdom. So here's the first step towards avoiding Jesus. When you focus on your kingdom, instead of understanding that it's really all about his kingdom, I want you to think with me for about three things for a minute. I want you to think about your thoughts in the last week. Maybe make a little pie chart on your notes. If you were to just allocate percentages of thought time this week, how much of your thinking was about your kingdom and how much of it was about God's kingdom? If you're like me, when you think about that question, I feel more like Pilate than I do Jesus. Because what occupied my thoughts this week was a lot of work, my goals, my dreams, wishes, and my wants, and not enough about God's kingdom. Maybe that's why Jesus said this about his kingdom. Um, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter into the kingdom of God. Because we get sucked into our own world. Secondly, hey, I want you to think about your discussions this week. What did you talk about this week at your house? What filled up your, your words this week? Hey, does anybody else, like, listen, at our house, you know what is a major topic of conversation every day? Like, logistics. Who's going where by when? Who's riding with who? What time do we need to be there? And pretty soon, our whole life gets sucked up into just, like, our little kingdom, and we're talking about our little kingdom And we're not talking about God's kingdom. Jesus said, as you go, along your way, go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Last question for you this week. What did you spend time praying about this week? Do you pray about your kingdom or about God's kingdom? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a picture. I, like Andrew, I love March Madness. Okay, I watch every game. I stay up late. I do all of it. 
Um, huge upset on, what day was that, Friday? Hey, could you throw this picture up here, guys? I love this, right? How many of you saw something like this at some point during the basketball games, if you watched any of that this week? Like, I don't know if this person was a Purdue fan. I think they're an FDU fan. Just praying that a team would make a basket, right? And we laugh about that, right? Isn't that, I mean, because number one, we've all been there. I mean, hey, the Broncos are in the Super Bowl. I'm on my knees, right? Like, that's going to happen. How much of our prayer is really just like this, just as foolish as this? Praying about a basketball game. I mean, not really, right? But so many of the things that consume our prayer life are about our kingdom, not about God's kingdom. Even this week, my sister had a procedure. My sister lives in Denver. She had a procedure on her heart this week. And I'm sitting there on Wednesday, and I'm praying for her physical healing. I'm praying for her doctors, right? All good stuff to pray for. Not saying we should not pray for that. Jesus cares about those things. But in the middle of that, I'm thinking, when was the last time I just prayed for her soul, for her walk with Jesus, for her spiritual life? So, hey, how do you make Jesus a question to be avoided? The first thing is, You make your life primarily about your kingdom, just like Pilate did, and not primarily about his kingdom, because what Jesus said was, my kingdom's not of this world. Second thing, how do we make Jesus a question to avoid? We don't know what Jesus did. John chapter 18, verse 37, Pilate said to Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus answered and said, you correct, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this purpose I've been born, and I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Two things here. First of all, Jesus tells us that truth exists. There was a time not all that long ago where this wasn't even a debatable debatable. Hey, I want to talk to our students. If you're in this room, you're a high school student, like wake up, put your phone down, give me about two minutes of your attention. Because this is the world that you live in today. You are growing up in a world that has told you and your friends that there is no such thing as absolute truth. It's the same world that Pilate lived in when he sarcastically asked Jesus, what is truth? You're growing up in a world that has phrases like, well, my truth is this. You're growing up in a world where you can believe one thing and someone else can believe the exact opposite thing and somehow both things are valid. You're growing up in a world in which someone's lived experience has become the ultimate unquestioned reality. You're growing up in a world where most people believe either there is no God or that if there is a God, certainly we would have no way of knowing him and what he thinks. And not only that, you're growing up in a world where if you do say you believe in some type of absolute truth, You will be called immoral, intolerant, arrogant, or even bigoted. In his best-selling book, The Closing of the American Mind, Alan Bloom wrote this. There is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. If this belief is put to the test, one can count on the student's reaction they will be uncomprehending. That anyone would regard relativism as not self-evident astonishes them as though he were calling into question two plus two equals four. These are things you don't think about. Hey, anybody know when that book was written? 
87. How much more true is that today? How much more true is that today? And I just want you to know, students, if you're here, the idea that there is no truth or that truth isn't knowable, like with as much grace and love I have, I just want you to know that's not an idea that comes from God at all. As a matter of fact, truth is not just knowable, it's available to you in the person of Jesus Christ. He said in John 18, he came to testify of the truth. Truth does exist. It can be found. It can be found in a person. His name is Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the truth. And so here we are at another clear decision point about Jesus. This is one of the things that's a real big problem for anyone who might believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. His own claim about himself was that he was truth in the flesh. Every word he spoke was truth. He lived a sinless life. Everything he did was truth. In a 2014 survey by the Barna organization, um, so this is going back a few years, they found that 52% of Americans agree with the statement that when Jesus lived on earth, he was human and committed sins just like other people. That's not who Jesus was. Jesus said he was truth in the flesh. And this is why knowing truth is so important for you and me. Truth is actually our only path to freedom. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. You will know the truth. And what's the impact of the truth? Is it restraining? Is it terrible? No. When you know the truth, the truth will do what? Set you free. Truth sets us free. So how do we avoid Jesus? Number one, we don't know what he did. What did he do? He proclaimed his kingdom. He testified to truth. The last thing is this, we avoid Jesus when we don't know who Jesus came, claimed to be. We avoid Jesus when we don't know who Jesus claimed to be. Um, a while ago, I heard an interview on NPR uh, on the Fresh Air, the Fresh Air show um, with a guy by the name of Bart Ehrman. Ehrman, Bart Ehrman. He's the author of a book called How Jesus Became God, The Exaltation of of a Jewish preacher from Galilee. You see the subtext there? Terry Gross began the interview by saying, when Bart Ehrman was a young evangelical Christian, he wanted to know how God became a man. But now, as an agnostic historian of early Christianity, he wants to know how a man became God. And in the interview, Bart Ehrman said this, during his lifetime, Jesus himself didn't call himself God, didn't consider himself God, and none of his disciples had any inkling that he was God. He said Jesus didn't call himself God, he didn't claim to be God, and no one around him thought that he was God. I just want you to know, that could not be further from the truth. But that's how we get to this Jesus is a good teacher place, is it starts with undermining Jesus' claim that he was God. Three things and we'll be done here. First of all, I want to be clear about this. Jesus clearly claimed to be God. Jesus clearly claimed to be God. It happened multiple times in multiple ways 
from miracles to pronouncing people's forgiven of their sins. We don't have time to go into all of it, but I want to highlight one. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, hey, before Abraham was, I am. Capital letters, I am. That is the name of God, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. You know what happened then? They picked up stones to throw at him, but he hid and he ran away. Certainly, Jesus is claiming to be God here because the people who heard it were ready to stone him. That's how they interpreted his message. We don't get to rewrite the history. Number two, not only did Jesus claim to be God, Jesus' closest friends also recognized him as God. John chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit of John 1. Here's, what, here's how John begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. Verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus' friends knew that he claimed to be God. And then finally, I'll say this. Even Jesus' enemies knew that Jesus claimed to be God. They didn't believe him, but they clearly recognized what he was saying. John chapter 19, back with Pilate. The cortex this morning, verse 7. The Jews answered them and said, we have a law. And by the law, he ought to die. Why? Because he made himself out to be God. Hey, you can't avoid it. Jesus claimed to be God. And what that leads to for each of us is what I'll call the big decision, the big question. And the big question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? I'll end today where we started with C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis went on to say, either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not left that door open to us, and he didn't intend to. Hey, two application points today. First is this. Every single person has to come to a place where they answer the big question. Once and for all in their life, the big question is, what am I going to do with Jesus? And at the end of the day, the options are either he is God and he's worthy of following and giving my life to and wanting to emulate or he's a crazy person. There's not a lot of middle ground. And maybe there's some people in this room today, you've never made that big decision, right? The big Q, never answered that in your life. Hey, I'll be out in the Welcome Center after the service. I'd love to talk to you more about what that looks like. But you know what? There's a smaller question that every one of us has to ask every day. And tomorrow morning, when your feet hit the floor, it's going to be the question that's hanging above you tomorrow. What will you do with Jesus tomorrow? Maybe you've settled the big question, 
And now it's a series of never-ending little questions. In my marriage, what am I going to do with Jesus? At my job, what am I going to do with Jesus? With my kids, what am I going to do with Jesus? And either he is the Lord and in charge of all those realms of life, or he's not. I want you to join me this week. Church, let's make Jesus the center of it all. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for the gospel of your kingdom. Thank you that truth is knowable through you. And I just declare today, we believe Jesus as Lord, Jesus as God. Help us to see the consequences of that decision in every part of our life. May we show you to be who you are. Share that prayer. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.